you know, when we're down two to one in the sixth, this isn't that bad compared to what we had to do preseason. Like we've gotten over stuff that's a lot tougher than this. And I'm not saying that they're thinking about that, but like that experience of being there, like we've gotten through a lot harder than this. So like, let's just go do it. It's made a big difference this year. Just accepting that, you know, not everyone has the same goals, but like together we all have the same goal. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Like episodes 82 and 83, this episode was recorded before our spring baseball season, but I was not prepared for how challenging a season with no home field would be in terms of the amount of time we would spend on a bus. So something had to give because I wasn't going to give up my wife and kids, that's for sure. So that said, I am really excited to get to share Thomas Smith's conversation with you. He's also now going through a huge change, but I'll get to that in a minute. First, a shout out to the best sponsor in the history of sponsorships and the reason I'm able to provide you all these opportunities to meet and learn from these amazing coaches. So a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the high school coaches club for years. And if you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered. For netting, digital graphic, wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, which uh, we have one and it is so big and so awesome. You name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844 844- 620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Thomas Smith. When we recorded it prior to spring baseball season, he was entering uh, what turned out to be his final year as the head baseball coach at Orion High School in Orion, Illinois. However, after the conclusion of the 2022-23 school year, he was named the new head baseball coach at Alleman High School, where he had previously served as an assistant. And when I went back to edit this episode last week, it made me love the conversation you're about to hear even more. The old adage, and I'm sure you know it, which is to be where your feet are, Uh, This dude is a shining example of it. Just absolutely love diving into how he builds culture, among a lot of other topics. And I know you're going to walk away from this one with some fresh new ideas for your program. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 84 with Thomas Smith. Thomas Smith, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Read about you getting like a ten thousand dollar grant to kind of help improve the the playing surface at your at your baseball field, and so naturally the next step was you know I wanted to do some digging and uh, kind of found it on Google Maps and then found pictures of it and um, just I don't know if jealous is the right word, but uh, it just looks like a gorgeous place to play. It's like there's the backdrop of it surrounded like there's like farmland all around it, it's something like out of a movie almost. Yeah, definitely. Um, my first year was during the COVID year, the hiatus. Um, when I first got on campus, um, our field wasn't great. 
um, just like limestone type dirt. And we had a lot of rainouts, had a lot of trouble holding water. Um, so I went to uh, a local grant and they approved for $10,000. And I put that toward turfish, um, mound and home plate clay um, and, and quick dry because we get a lot of rain here in the Midwest. So really put all that down on my own. Didn't really have a whole lot of help. Had some kids come out there and help me. But um, it really made a huge difference and, you know, really can't ask for a better place to play. I was thinking too, like the $10,000, like for, you know, for people who might not be familiar with baseball might think that's an enormous sum, uh, sum of money. But then when you actually start buying the turfus and the clay and everything, it doesn't quite go as far as people might think from the outside. Oh, definitely. I mean, we have like 20 bags of the infield conditioner left, which we'll have to use this year. And then the clay is about half gone. And the quick dry, we had so much rain last year in March in the Midwest that we use probably half of our supply of quick dry. So we're looking to probably pony up again next spring um, just because we need more material. We'll get into uh, more with, with Orion High School, obviously, and, and the field and the facilities and everything. But I want to kind of focus on you for a minute, kind of go back to your own uh, high school experience. Where did you go? Uh, how was it? What was it like as a student? Kind of give me the rundown on that. Yeah, so I went to Lockport Township High School, which is a suburb of Chicago near Joliet. Um, went to school with about 4,000 kids. So about one of the biggest high schools in Illinois. Um, huge tradition of excellence in baseball. Um, had a great time playing there under Coach Andy Satunis. Um, we lost to Mount Carmel High School in the super sectional, but grew a lot in my baseball knowledge and uh, was able to play on from college from there. So I can't ask for anything more of that. Yeah, and you, uh, you, stayed, you stayed pretty local for college, didn't you? Yeah, I went to Joliet Junior College and then to University of St. Francis, which are both in Joliet, so about 15 minutes from where I grew up. So um, two, two good experiences there. My junior college, Coach Wayne King, he's, uh, he's the GOAT. He uh, is in about every Hall of Fame that you can think of. Um, he was a tremendous um, impact on me and one of, my, one of the people that I consider a mentor. When you're around, you know, really good coaches like that, it's really easy to, you know, look back and reflect and be like, well, of course it was natural for me to become a coach after being around him. But did you know at the time when you were playing under him that coaching was something you were going to do? Yeah. So I never really thought about like what I wanted to do in terms of coaching um, until I went to Juliet Junior College and was around him. And he really kind of pushed me. We would sit in his office for hours and just talk baseball. And it was at that point that I knew, like, I definitely want to coach college, uh, college or high school at some point. And um, he embraced it, too, and actually called me Coach Smith um, while I was playing there. So he had a tremendous impact on me and really kind of molded me into the coach that I am today. Well, that's one of the first things that, you know, we kind of see is when I kind of look at the when you kind of sent over the years of graduation stuff. And I'm like, wow, completed his bachelor's in 2019. So we're not talking to someone who's been doing this for, you know, 50 or 60 years. And I think I'm kind of excited about that to have somebody um, young and fresh and kind of um I don't know. There's just there's just something different that comes with being young and hungry that uh, maybe as we get older, we kind of lose some of that edge. Yeah, I definitely lack some experience compared to some of the other coaches that are on this podcast and are even in my area. But I think I use it to my advantage because I have a great relationship with the players just because I can relate to them because I was only in high school like 10 years ago. So I know what kind of drives them and what they're looking for and how to connect with them via social media or whatever. 
platform that are using. Um, I just think that that gives me a tremendous advantage. So then you, you graduate in 2019 and you immediately kind of dive into coaching. Yeah. So I, um, was helping out in the Allman athletic um, department, which is another high school here in, um, the suburbs. So I jumped on staff there, um, helping out. And then 2020 was the uh, COVID year. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that I kind of wanted to do my own thing. So, um, you know, that opening at Orion was um, available. So I sent my application materials in and I thought I'd put together a pretty strong um, interview process. And you always kind of as a 23 year old at that time, you don't really know what's going to happen, but I guess I am impressed enough to, um, they offered me the position and it's been great ever since. Yeah. The, the experience for everybody in 2020 was really bizarre. And you'd mentioned, you know, at the top of the top of the time we started recording the, how, you know, you kind of were there for the COVID year and that's when the grant happened and you, and you started taking care of the field that way. But when you kind of reflect back, you get hired. And then of course you got the, the bizarre COVID thing happening, what was that whole situation like for you in terms of trying to lay the groundwork, create relationships with kids? Because I just I think of like for a lot of coaches, that was a really hard time where all of a sudden like you can't like for a lot of us, you, we weren't even in contact with our players anymore. And so like let alone having that kind of be our first year with our guys of trying to build relationships. And here we are all kind of like stuck in this weird position. Yeah, so I didn't get hired until after the shutdown was already over. So I got hired in January 2021, and our season happened um, March 2021. And it was a pretty miserable experience because in Illinois, they did basketball, football, baseball, back-to-back-to-back, yeah. to back to back and overlapping. So my first year, I didn't really have contact with many of the kids until two months before we were starting, and they were already in other sports. So trying to work open gyms and practices around – what these kids are doing and what those kids are doing. And this kid has football, this kid has basketball. I mean, there was almost no interaction before the actual season started and kind of put us at a disadvantage, but every school was at a disadvantage. So I'm thankful that that was my first year because what a year everyone, it was chaos for everyone, not just me. Um, so I think that kind of benefited us so that my second year, everything was back to normal and we could get up and running. Yeah, the overlapping, we, we did kind of the same thing here in Oregon where it was all three seasons kind of one after the other and there was like a week or two overlap sometimes among the seasons. And it was really weird because, um, you know, like with open gyms, like you were talking about, like sometimes we wouldn't have even seen a kid until, you know, his football season ended, which is like a week into our baseball season. And we had already, we'd started practicing, like we're getting ready for games. And then all of a sudden you get these kids who just finished up their previous sports season and here they are walking in the door like, oh, hey, I play baseball too. And it was just like a really bizarre time. It was. I mean, luckily we have lights out at the field. So our kids were going when our school has about 320 kids. So a lot of our basketball players play football. A lot of our football players play baseball. So after football practices, they would run them three to five and we would practice 530 to 730. So it was a long day for the kids, but it was really the only way that we could see them on a day-to-day basis. Probably a good time to kind of dive in and like introduce us to the high school because I'm not sure many listeners even know much, let alone about Illinois, right? And so for for people who listen just like me who have no idea where this is in relation to anything else, like 
where is it? What's it like? What are the demographics? Like, give me kind of the overview of the school and the location. Yeah, definitely. So before I got hired, admittedly, I didn't even know that Orion was on the map before <laughs> I applied for this job. Okay. Um, so I'm from the Chicago suburbs. So it is about two hours straight west on Interstate I-80 hmm. um, near the Quad Cities, which is a quadrant of cities, Moline, Rock Island, Illinois. Bettendorf and Davenport, Iowa. We're about 15 minutes south of Rock Island. So our school has about 320 students. We are in class 2A, which there's four A's in uh, Illinois high school baseball. So we are at the smaller end and we are like 20 kids away from being in 1A. So we have quite a small school. Um, A lot of our kids, as mentioned before, play um, a multitude of sports. So um, seeing them during the off season is kind of a challenge, but um, yeah, it's a great place to be kind of out in the farmland a little bit. Um, but yeah, can't ask for anything more. Well, yeah, that's what, when I like Googled it and started kind of just digging a little bit, like it just looks like a beautiful place to play baseball, let alone to be in a high school and in, in, in the town itself and everything that comes along with the smaller towns and stuff. So one of the things my brain goes to then right away is like, all right, so you got this kid, basically you got this young guy, who was an assistant coach for a year. And then all of a sudden he's a head coach. And so immediately I think of like, okay, a lot of people um, uh, who listen in at some point, you're getting your first head coaching job. And for some people, they're going to be young. Uh, I've had people that were like 20 years old getting their first head coaching job. Sometimes they won't be till in their forties by the time they finally get their first head coaching job. Uh, And so my brain immediately goes to like the interview process, the resume, like how did you go into this process and sell yourself isn't the right word, but how did you maybe convince yourself and convince the school that you were the right fit for them? Yeah, so I didn't really have a whole lot of job experience on my resume. I was a director of athletics and PE teacher at a junior high in the Quad Cities. Um, But I went ahead and got a portfolio together of everything that I wanted to have in a program um, down from the top of like team expectations all the way down to like parent communication process. If their kids, if they weren't happy with their kids playing time. So I did all that and I put together like a program Bible is what I called it. Mm-hmm. And it was like a 25 page document and I printed it out, put it in a binder and just referenced that the entire time. And just being 25 years old, I think the question is, is this kid mature enough and does he have a plan? Because I knew how to play baseball. I played in high school and college. I don't think that was really the issue, but I really had to sell myself that I was organized. I had a vision. I had a plan. And um, I think that document that I reference all the time, I hand it out in our parent meeting and I say, hey, whenever you're bored or, you know, take a look at this and it'll answer everything. I go over the parent communication process. But that I think that document and just being prepared for the interview um, really helped me out. Yeah, organization is a huge one, and I've I've heard other people kind of mention the same things when they go in for their for head coaching interviews of um, experience or not doesn't isn't so much the issue, right? It's it's do you have like what you were talking about? Do you have a vision? Do you have the organization to like carry that vision through? Uh, do you have goals set up? Like, do you have plans? Uh, yeah, I've even had coaches like bring in like. Uh, like example practice plans of like, here's how we're going to, here's how practice might run. Here's how uh, I might communicate with other coaches. Like there's just, 
And so I think there's a ton of value in going through that process, not only for the interview, but like what you're starting to hint at, but for once the interview is done, like now you've realized you didn't just make this for an interview and just to get a job, but you actually made this document to really genuinely be your vision and your guide and something that's editable and usable for the rest of your time there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of that work that I put in the pre-interview process um, is still in. I mean, there's a couple of changes here and there, but a lot of that is the same thing that I'm using today, you know, three years in. So, um, you know, definitely that work that I put in is benefiting our whole program now. What is the parent communication process that you've you've settled on? Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, coaching high school sports, you know, that's going to be an issue for a lot of parents. Um at the at the JV level, we're definitely trying to get you know people in more, but varsity level is primarily based on winning. So the first one, the first step of the I call it a four step action plan is that the concerned player should have a meeting with their immediate coach. So for varsity, that would be me. For JV, that would be our JV head coach. If he doesn't feel comfortable with the outcome of this meeting, he moves forward to step two, which is um the necessary orient coaches, which is me, and then whatever the immediate coaches. So I'm always in with the JV head coach if should there be an issue with that. And then their parents and guardians should be request, requested via email. And then if they're not comfortable with that, then we go to step three, which is, you know, involving the athletic director. Um, and then if they're not comfortable with that, then we go to the next step, which is like the superintendent. Luckily, I haven't really gotten past step <laughs> two or three on this, but, um, it's there just in case it's needed. Um, but yeah, just having that really kind of sets, sets the tone right away at the parent meeting that, you know, things are going to be done in a certain way. And one of the things that I'm really big on is the 24 hour rule. So if you're not happy with your kid's game that you just watched, like sleep on it, don't come right up to the coach right away. And I really stress that at a parent meeting, like, you know, have some time to decompress, um, process what you're trying to say, what your complaint is, and then put that in an email to me. And then, you know, we can go from the next step from there. But don't come up to me when I'm walking to the bus, because that's not going to be good for you. And it's not going to be good for me. So that's one thing that I really try to try to hit home on preseason. Yeah, well, for sure. And I think one of the like ironic things about coaching is, you know, as you as you run a program and parents help out and they become really good ambassadors for the program, um, what happens when inevitably their kid ends up on varsity at some point during his career and maybe he's not playing very much? And it's like, well, that can create a really, um, oh, I don't know, stressful situation where you have this parent who might feel like they've given so much time, effort, maybe even money to a program and then on the backside of it, it's like, well, I feel like my kids should be playing. <laughs> and so I think a lot of coaches maybe get themselves in trouble if they don't have a really well thought out, lined up, like this is the way this conversation goes. This is the process that it takes. And then also on the back end for us as coaches, like having an athletic director who's willing to be part of that and having an athletic director who's going to be supportive of you and trust you because ultimately like they – they chose Thomas Smith as their head coach, right? So at some level, they've got to back you up too. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just having the backing from administration is huge. So, you know, the one issue I ran in last year, they were more than supportive for me. And, you know, I had all my ducks in a row, so um, made it pretty easy. Um, it was just a minor little blimp, but um, 
you know, anytime you get in those situations, it's just kind of something you really don't want to deal with. Um, and they don't really want to deal with it either. So you get in, you're, you're hired, you got the job, you have this weird setup with the 2021 season, like a lot of us did where the, it was just a bizarre year, but Hey, you know, at least we all got to play to your credit, right? Everybody was in the same boat. Um, so first year ends, uh, as you kind of took a moment in the, you know, maybe the summer of 2021 to reflect, what were some of the like high points of how the season went? And then maybe something that you felt could have gone better or, or maybe a change you wanted to make heading into 2022. Yeah, so we were nine and ten my first year, and um, you know, just a lot of growing pains. We were playing kids that really shouldn't have been on varsity, just because we only had sixteen total kids in the program. So, um, a lot of growing pains. So, in the twenty twenty one summer, I really kind of thought about what it is that I wanted to, what I could do better as a coach, not what the kids could do better, but what I could do better. And one thing I kept landing on was, um, I wanted to be more aggressive on the bases. I think we stole like four bases a game my first year and I was like we really didn't face too many catchers and defenses that can consistently throw us out on the bases mm -hmm. so that was one of my points of emphasis that we really drove home all off season, and um really wanted to put forward to uh spring 2022 and we and we did that uh well so one of the things that I think a lot of coaches I've talked to recently over the just even the last month or so baseball coaches um they're all talking about the same thing you were just mentioning at the end of 2021 which is base running, specifically stealing bases. It's a really interesting trend that I'm starting to notice is that more and more of us are starting to see and realize like there's a lot of um, hidden potential and value in stealing bases at the high school level. And to your credit, like you got to have a pitcher that can hold a runner. You've got to have a catcher that can catch and throw. You've got to have an infield that's going to make the catch on the other end and also lay down a, a tag when your guys are trying to avoid the tag on a slide in. Like there's a lot of things that have to go right for opposing teams. And it's like, I think more and more coaches are coming to this realization that there's a lot of free bases to be had by training our guys to steal bases. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we work it just about every day at practice. Um, I actually went to the Illinois high school baseball coaches convention um, last February and um, actually stole some base running circuits that we do at the beginning of practice from a coach there. I, I think it was Prairie Ridge high school, um, but he runs these base running circuits and I really adopted them and the kids like them. Um, I don't really do conditioning just to condition. We condition by base running and we do it at the beginning of practice. Um, so it's definitely a point of emphasis for us. So um, we really in started installing those um, base running circuits in the off season and it made a world of a difference. We stole 209 bases, which I think was like first or second in the state and out of 239 attempts. So we were floating around 87% success rate. So um, I definitely saw a lot of value out of those base running circuits. And then that obviously transferred into winning, right? So after a, a, about a 500 record that, you know, that first year you had into 2022 in the spring, and you guys just had an absolute blast playing baseball. Absolutely. I mean, we had a little rough go at the beginning, um, but then we kind of sat down and, you know, the players and I discussed like, hey. What, what is it that we want to do? What are our goals? Because playing, you know, mediocre baseball and scratching by isn't going to, you know, lead to results in the postseason. So I, I challenge them to, you know, hold themselves to a, a higher standard. And it's about playing quality baseball every day, not just winning on that given day. And we took off. We won 10 in a row, had a minor blip against a team. And then I think we won another nine or 10 in a row. So we finished the year 23 and seven. It was a 
blast. Um, well, it was really nice for me because my first year I was intentionally um, kind of strict and trying to lay down the ground rules of the program. But last year, once we started playing well and the kids were really falling in, and again, those expectations, something that I'm huge on, um, were being met by the end, it even exceeded in most cases. I was able to like take my foot off the brake a little bit and just kind of relax and just let the kids play baseball. And it was a great, um, great season. And there's something special as a coach about winning that it's not everything, but obviously once when you get on the field, like that's that's the goal. And I think it should be the goal is to win the game. And it helps kind of validate your thoughts and your plans and your strategies and your goals that wouldn't be as easy to come by if you had a, had had another like 500 season. Maybe that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. But when you go 23 and 7, it's like this instant validation. And with that validation, I think also comes a level of credibility within the school, uh, within the you know, the, the team, of course, and then within the community too, have you kind of seen that start to start to happen uh, through the course of that 2022 spring up through now? Yeah, definitely. So my first year, you know, I got, you know, probably half of the team to buy in. And then that off season, I really laid out a plan and I got a lot of the team to buy in. But um, after you go 23 and seven, you know, that year, you know, the community kind of sees like, oh, this this kid's 26 years old, but, you know, he kind of knows what he's doing a little bit. And, um, you know, our numbers have skyrocketed. My first year, we had 16 kids. Last year, like I said, we had a little bit of a buy-in. We were at like 27, and this year we have over 34 committed players um, ready to go for the spring. So I think that, you know, success is always going to, um, you know, breed um, – you know, breed interest and community support. So we're, I'm definitely starting to see that here. And, you know, the buy-in now is, you know, every kid that's not, you know, playing a winter sport right now is at workouts and we're getting stronger, we're getting faster. So that's something I did have my first year and I struggled with it a little bit my second year, but this year it's just been kind of like a seamless, like, all right, we're done with football. We're not playing winter sport. Boom. We're, we're in the weight room. We're lifting. We're going to open gyms. So that's been great. What is the rule in Illinois for you guys for off-season workouts? What are you allowed to do and not do? Well, we don't have a strength and conditioning program at the school, which is something that I really um, – I've always had it when I was in high school. We were put into a um, powerlifting class if you were a varsity athlete, so we don't have that. So I run all of our strength and conditioning stuff after school. Um, and then I think it's I'm, – I'm not really exactly sure, but we only do like one or two ones, uh, open gyms. Um, after the new year so we haven't really even done any yet this year um but after the new year we'll start going once or twice in uh january open gyms you know not mandatory uh coaches are there but you know we're just putting balls and machines type thing we're not really doing a whole lot of coaching and then um as the season progresses we you know we start doing a couple more but um we really can't have much contact with the kids until our official start date which this year i think is like february 27th or something like that same for us here in Oregon this February 27th, which was kind of my next question because I know off air before we started recording, we were talking about the weather and I was just talking about how we were hitting some zero degree stuff. We're in the middle of a storm right now. You were talking about how uh, for a few days there, your highs were in the negatives. And so then, of course, the natural thing is like, well, you know, February 27th for baseball isn't really ideal. So what do you guys do uh, when the weather is like it often is? Yeah, so... Our indoor facilities are not the best, but I like to say we do more with less. Um, 
we can't really use the main gym because of the wood floors and the basketball hoops actually uh-huh. don't go up. They are um, like nailed onto the wall with um, beams. So we can't use the main gym. So we use a back gym, which is um, like a normal size basketball court, but without any of the out of balance area. So it's um, we have one drop down cage in there. Um, I have to get creative. I bring in a catch net and split the cages in half so that we hit away from each other just so we have more reps going on. I'm always, you know, doing infield on the other side where the other coaches are hitting, and then the outfielders will go to defense with the outfield coach, um, and then I'll get in the cages with the infielders and we're hidden. Um, but, yeah, anytime the weather gets above 30 degrees, we're going outside, and if our field isn't ready, um, we go over to the tennis courts, which um, is a little out of the box, but I wanted to – get more out of practice and I felt we can get more out of practice being outside. So a long toss on like the football field and then we'll head over to the tennis courts, which if they're dry, we can get a lot of ground balls in first and thirds picks. So definitely a little out of the box, but um, like I said, doing more with less. We had a really similar situation last year. Normally a lot of the stuff we're doing sounds very similar to what you guys end up having to do just with facilities and everything and gym floors and same thing for us, basketball hoops that are always there. (laughs) And so last spring, our football field, which is where we normally are able to go um, to throw and do, you know, defensive work and base running and everything like that. Um, it was being renovated. They're they're putting down new turf on everything. So we didn't have access to it for the whole spring. And so like you, we had to get really creative. Like we'd go play catch on the track. We'd have to go to the tennis courts to do ground balls. Uh, we would sometimes just end up in the parking lot doing ground balls with, you know, like dimple balls and just, just kind of... <laughs> doing whatever it takes but I I always try to remind myself when I get frustrated about facilities or not even frustrated but just like man this is crazy is uh, I read a book called The Talent Code a while back and it talked about all these really like high level teams throughout the world and then it would often talk about the facilities and a lot of times the facilities were actually really bad and kind of want to hit the premises of his book was this idea of how actually having a a facility that's not like a state-of-the-art, beautiful, shining thing, which for us would probably be like a beautiful, huge indoor hitting facility, right, for baseball. Talks about maybe ha- not having that and having these other things kind of creates this grittiness in your players, this blue-collar mentality, this like us-against-everybody-else sort of feeling, where it actually like builds this ball player out of them that maybe they wouldn't be built into if they just get to walk into the door to this like shining, beautiful place where – everything was so easy and accessible. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned that blue collar mentality. Um, one of my assistants, um, my brother-in-law, uh, he, we lock up the L screens at the end of the night at our field, um, with like a chain and like a, a deadbolt just so they don't get stolen and whatever else. And people don't drag them onto the field and mat down our grass and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, um, he put the chain around his neck one day and put the deadbolt on it. And he called himself like a junkyard dog referring to like that blue collar mentality. And, you know, the game went on and we ended up like getting a gritty win and he kind of coined it like the junkyard player, junkyard dog player of the game and uh, handed it to one of the kids, whoever it was, I can't remember, but we kind of, the kids kind of rallied around that in that junkyard dog, like that blue collar mentality. So that's become like a staple of our program. Like one of the pillars that we try to say like almost every day, you know, about competing, like being a junkyard dog, you're, you might be down, but you're never out when you, you know, Oh, two count, like be a junkyard dog, like fall off two pitches and then hit a 27 hopper to second to get a guy from second to third with nobody out. Like that's the type of stuff that we really look for. And 
we even put it on the back of our hats this year. So the kids really love it. And it was just something that happened kind of out of nothing. But uh, the kids love it. I've kind of embraced it. And uh, it really is a staple for our program now. I love that. I think there's something really genuine when you come up with something like truly in the moment. I think for us as coaches, like, you know, you probably the same way. We spend a lot of time thinking of really powerful like mantras or sayings that are going to be part of our program and the why behind them. But sometimes, man, it's there's something like so authentic when there's just an in the moment event that just and everybody just kind of rallies around it. We had a similar thing years ago with the word Thor, long story. But anyway, it's just kind of the same thing of like it just creates this bond between the players and the coaches and the shared thing that everybody in the program knows and it's maybe not like an inside joke but that same sort of feeling of like this is this is us this is our thing this is really cool oh definitely i mean some of the other local coaches um are working with some of our kids like physical therapists and stuff working with like some driveline stuff they're like what's up with that dog on the back of your hat? It's like, <laughs> you guys are the chargers. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't really like that. And uh, the kids are just like, don't worry about it. Like it's our thing. Like, and they kind of re- giving it back to them. So I kind of like it. Um, but yeah, they really, they, I'm surprised that they rallied around it so much, but they absolutely love it. So we'll put it on shirts. We'll put, we put it on the back of our hats. Like they cannot get enough of it. That's a cool deal. And so then, you know, obviously the, the follow up with that is how long does that go? Do you ride the train? Do you keep being junkyard dogs till it stops working? Do you change it up after a couple of years because it gets so old? I guess I guess time will tell. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, really just trying to keep the kids engaged no matter what. So if there's something there that's working, we're going to work it. But, uh, you know, try to kill it before it dies. So we'll see when that time comes. You mentioned uh, strength and conditioning and how the, the school doesn't really have that um, – offer which also for me like growing up we of course we had you know weight training and stuff in our you know in the high school and so it is a bizarre thing to think about um but also i also think about how many baseball players i've had in our program that weren't even in that class or those classes anyway and so you had mentioned strength and conditioning and it's kind of like base stealing in a sense where it's a really low-hanging fruit that can really help every single player in the program in such a like positive and profound way and not just for life, of course, but obviously for baseball, which is amazing. And so when you got in there and you started trying to figure out strength and conditioning, like where are you guys with that now? Like what types of things do you have players do? How do you run it? Like, can you kind of just break that down a little bit? Yeah. So I use a lot of like my college workouts that I did at St. Francis and kind of, you know, built together this own little platform. So we do two days a week and, you know, in this area and probably most areas in the country, um, the difference between like an average player and an above average player is strength, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you have to have some skill with that. But there's a lot of kids in high school baseball that have um, adequate amounts of skill, but are six feet tall, 145 pounds. And, you know, that results just never really come. So um, we're just focused on trying to, you know, build them up a little bit. We do a ton of leg work. So we do squats, lunges, um, trap bar deadlifts. I mean, we're in there, you know you know, killing the legs, trying to kill the corks. That's really the base for us. And then we throw on some accessory type lifts, really try to hit like their rear delts and get, get, get them burned out. But, um, we're going in there twice a week and we're going about an hour, hour and a half every single day that we're in there. And the kids, the kids, uh, they don't like it when it's going on, but, it, you know, seeing the growth, especially this year with some of the freshmen coming in, like they had never lifted a weight in their life. And this was my first class of freshmen that that were, you know, hadn't really lifted before. 
and um you know they're starting to put up we do a max day and the um right before winter break and you know these kids are putting up almost 200 pounds in squats and like their faces you know after they you know one kid messaging me like oh i couldn't even squat a plate before we started and mm. now i'm out here doing you know 225 for for one rep and you know just that that's so rewarding as a coach like that's the stuff that you know gives you chills and you know puts a smile on your face so i mean i think it's making a huge difference there was really no strength and conditioning program in the baseball program itself before this but we really get after it in there and um the kids that like i said like we do circuits after and i i make a i've been starting to do this um draw out of a hat for which circuit exercises we're doing it and the kids get a huge kick out of that um <laughs> they hate the circuits but they love the fact that they get to pick and choose what they're going to do out of a hat so some days it's really tough to get like plate pushes but you know sometimes there's an off station that they pick out of there and you know the whole weight room is just like celebrating because they get an off station so it's it's been a ton of fun well what i'm hearing too is is the I don't know if soft skill is the right way to put it, but the, so you, you know, you're, you're building strength, you're, you're getting stronger, which is amazing, right? You're adding 50 to hundred pounds. I mean, like that's going to make a huge difference in just someone being an athlete. And then obviously transfers to playing baseball. But then the other part of that is the we part, right? So picking things out of a hat, like that might not sound like the coolest thing in the world, but what you're doing is you're building this team. Who's like, Hey, we're in this together. We picked this out and we're going to all grown together and be like, dang it, this is a bad one we picked, but we're going to do it together. We're going to get through it together. We're going to compete together. And by the by the time you're done with all that, like, yeah, you've gotten stronger, you've gotten faster, but you've gotten better baseball. But you've also, like, improved the culture and the team and the unity within the program and the relationships with each other and then also with the coaching staff. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the weight room that's really hard to maybe replicate elsewhere where – you're when you're on a baseball field like you really are competing against each other like I'm trying to beat you out to be the starting shortstop right in the weight room it's a little bit different and we're all in this like sweat equity struggle together that I think is just a really unique place that I think a lot of teams would really benefit from if they aren't doing that sort of thing already yeah definitely so like not having a school PE weightlifting program you know does kind of hold us back at times but being able to be in there as a team lifting and struggling together, I think that really kind of, you know, gets that team unity and that, you know, culture that we're in this together. And, um, you know, one thing that I've really picked up and I stole it from Ole Miss baseball, the Peoria challenge, or they call it the Omaha challenge. Yeah. Our <laughs> state is in Peoria. So I kind of coined it the Peoria challenge. So we do it right before the season, right after basketball ends, right before that February 27th date, we'll do a Peoria challenge, which one day is like the combine day. So they're running a 30 yard dash. They're, you know, doing a broad jump, a three cone drill, a shuttle run. Then day two is like the team sports events, the team events. So like last year we had um, dodgeball and then we had like ultimate Frisbee. And then the last event was jeopardy. So uh, then then the third day is a challenge course, which is, just like an hour and a half of just physical activity. It's you start with a mile run and then you do, you know, down and backs in the small gym, you're plate pushing, you're doing burpees, you're doing army crawls, you're doing all this type of stuff. And it is miserable, but the kids after it's all said and done, you know, it really, there's something to be said about struggling together, you know, and, and becoming that and being resilient. And, um, you know, I think we get a lot out of that. I know on Twitter, it's been a, 
popular, mm. you know, should you do it? Should you not do it? But I think we get a, we get a ton out of it. And the kids, you know, in the moment they, they hate it. They, that last mile after they've been doing it for an hour and a half, they cannot stand it, you know, got guys cramping up and stuff, but that shared experience, um, going through that, you know, difficult time and getting through it together. And, you know, I'm seeing, you know, seniors that I never thought would be a leader, you know, going up to freshmen that are struggling come on, stay with me, stay with me. Like, I think we get so much out of that. So I'm going to keep doing it every single year because I just, I love that type of stuff. And the, the benefit outweighs the uh, negative. It is funny that you mentioned that, especially the Twitter part, because as you're saying that I was going to bring that up of how, I don't know, it was sometime this year, it became a real hot topic on Twitter. People were posting about how those sorts of challenges, of course, don't actually do anything to help improve the, you know, the quality of your team's strength and conditioning. And I, I didn't get into it with anybody. I stayed out of the conversation and just quietly read all the replies. But um, I think those people were, are missing the point, right? The, the those few days that you're doing the Peoria challenge aren't necessarily like, it's not like those, okay, this week is going to make us really good at being strong. Now uh, it's like, that's, that's missing the point. The point isn't the strength and conditioning part of that week. It's that struggle together. And it is that moment. Like you mentioned, that's a really beautiful moment where like this freshman kid is going to remember that senior doing that. He's going to remember that senior saying his name, like, calling him out in a positive way of encouraging him like that's a big moment for a freshman kid because if we all try to remember what we were like as freshmen in high school like we looked up to those seniors and a lot of us thought they were like almost godlike like oh wow those guys are really like they're amazing even if they weren't like we didn't know we were like oh those guys are amazing and for one of them to come up to me during this struggle and encourage me and know who I am like that's we we can't underestimate how important that sort of situation is for players and so I think a lot of people on Twitter arguing over that. Maybe we're missing the point of it. And the point of that, of course, is this creates a team. This creates a culture. This creates a we, which I know when you, you, you have the cool part of sending over your pillars to me, it's the we over me part of it. And it's like that it builds us up so much. And I think sometimes people get so focused on the performance and does this actually make me better at baseball? And sometimes that's actually kind of beside the point of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, I think we gain a ton from it. And, you know, like you said, you know, that, that freshman that's struggling and that senior that's, you know, helping pick them up, that's everything. And I think every good team, um, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, girls, basketball, whatever sport it is, you always have some type of, you know, you know, you hit where the rubber meets the road and you have like a downtime, you know, like a, a little rut that you, you have to get through together. And I think this is just like another one of those that it's, yeah, it's kind of forced on you as a player, but, you know, you could all kind of relate and think back on to, hey, you know, when we're down two to one in the sixth, like, this isn't that bad compared to what we had to do preseason. Like, we've gotten over stuff that's a lot tougher than this. And I'm not saying that they're thinking about that, but like that experience of being there, like, we've gotten through a lot harder than this. So like, let's just go do it. What I love, I, I mentioned, I love that you sent your pillars to me and I, I, I'm fascinated by it because I love seeing like the inner workings of other programs because I think it's really easy for us to coach our team and everyone on our team's great and that's great, but it, nobody else kind of knows what goes on inside it, kind of like the junkyard dog part that you were talking about earlier. And so I love seeing the like the inner workings on what is it that different coaches try to really create? What do they want their culture to be? And so kind of looking at your pillars, um, how'd you come up with them? Where'd you land on these? How'd you land on these? Like, where did all of this kind of start and end up? 
Yeah, so definitely I'm a lifelong learner when it comes to baseball. So some of this is taken from college, just like going to class. Some of it's taken from, um, you know, various baseball coaches, some of it from leadership books that I've read. Um, so I just kind of blended it all together and tried to make it my own. So I kind of made it into three pillars and it kind of creates that um, acronym EAT, E-A-T. Um, so E is effort. Um, so I'm trying to compete every single day. So actually every pillar, we have like a, a go term that we say every single day, um, which is kind of cool. So these, these pillars are being said to the kids every single day. So they're being preached at every practice, every game, even at, you know, team meals, open gym, whatever it is, weight room, we're saying these things just about every day. So the kids are well aware of these pillars. So for effort, you know, I, I always say be the best in the state. So regardless, like if you're going to get foul balls, be the best foul ball getter in the state. If you're the bullpen protector, be the best bullpen protect, uh, protector in the state. That's something. And, and the kids, like, initially when I got hired on here, like, they kind of, like, were laughing at it. But then, like, they kind of embraced it. And it's it's always funny because some of, the, like, my lingo terms that I use all the time, like, it's always funny because at the beginning they would make fun of me for it. But now they <laughs> I hear them saying it in their in their own talk with their buddies and on the bus ride and stuff like that. And, you know, it just brings a smile to my face because like, hey, it's actually like, you know, landing like it's actually they're actually, um, you know, it's it's hitting home with them that now they're using it in their in their daily term. Like, oh, I'm the best, you know, chemistry test taker in the state and stuff like that <laughs> when I'm here on the bus. And it's like, yeah, they're, it's soaking in a little bit for them. So we say that just about every single day. And then also, like I mentioned before, the junkyard dog, that's another thing that we use for the effort. So, you know, be the be the junkyard dog player of the game or whatever it is, be the junkyard dog pra- practice player of the day. Um we say those every single day. And then attitude is the, the A for the um, eat. And uh, my embrace, I I don't know where I got this from exactly, but it's win this pitch. And the, this mm. is always capitalized because it doesn't matter about, you know, you took the OO pitch right down the chute. It's, you got to forget that, you know, it's on to this pitch. Like, it doesn't matter what happened. A pitch ago, two pitches ago, five pitches ago. It's about what's happening this pitch. It's kind of where that be where your feet are um, type mantra. But we say that every single day. We coin it on Twitter with like a hashtag and Instagram and all that. Win this pitch. Parents got like a picture of the boys, the senior boys, and hashtag win this pitch. So it's been kind of like a rallying cry for us. Um, you know, win this pitch. Now it's not about what happened before. And I mean, I'm as guilty of it as any baseball player. You know, you make an error in the field or you strike out and you you're feeling sorry for yourself, but it's like, no, like win this pitch, don't worry about what happened before. So I think we've, we've, uh, we struggle with it a little bit my first year, but last year, I think we really kind of, you know, it's not about what happened and, you know, at the plate, we're going to go out there and play defense. Now it, we really saw like a huge uh, attitude adjustment in year two. And the third one is togetherness. Um, so that's that we, we versus me and doing your job and everyone's job is different, but the sum of all jobs is the team. So every break, I hate breaks. I'm not like a Chargers on three guy. Like I'm not interested in that at all. So we do team on one, one, and then the whole team says team. So like our senior captain will say team on one, and then he'll say one, and then team. So one team is kind of a rallying cry again. Post that on Twitter, got the hashtag and all that stuff. And the kids really love that. Um, You know, it's about being one team. So we say it every single time we break. So that's just kind of one of the things that I don't really know where it came from. But um, something that our kids really like, and uh, we do it every single day. Well, you got me thinking because you know I'm 
like a lot of coaches, I have my pillars in the the program and, you know, kind of what we want to aspire to be every single day. But the go term part has me reeling in a really positive way of like, oh, because it's really awkward. Like one of ours is lift when you climb, you know, this idea of like lifting people up as as you reach better success and then also allowing other people to lift you up when you need to be lifted up. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all that's all good. I'm listening to you and I'm going, well, I don't have a go term for that. Like, I don't have a way of like in practice to preach that every single day. And so like, for example, when you're talking about attitude and, and win this pitch, that's one of the hardest things to teach anybody in, in any aspect of life, right? It's so easy to get caught up in something that just happened that was, you know, you perceive as a negative thing, making an error, um, I don't know, breaking a, a, a plate when you're washing the dishes, whatever it might be. It's so easy for us because it's so human, right, to react in a really negative way and let that take over us. And the much difficult but also much better path is to be like, well, that that moment is already passed. That moment's already done, right? It's over. We need to move on to this moment now, which is cleaning up the dish, which is, you know, making the next play, being prepared for this pitch. And so I'm just thinking through of like, man, all, all this stuff makes so much sense. Then when you add in a go term, something kids can actually say to each other and coaches can actually say to each other. Now, all of a sudden you're ingraining this pillar into the kids. Whereas when I'm now reflecting on our pillars, I'm like, man, I, mine feels so forced now, just in the sense of like, I have to remind kids, like we have to talk after practice. Remember lift when you climb and don't forget to do this. It's like, well, man, having a go term that I can just say in the middle of practice, Hey, win this pitch. And then all of a sudden kids start saying it to each other. Did you, did you come up with the go term yourself or is this something that you saw someone else doing? Like, where did that come from? I'm not exactly sure. I probably stole it somewhere from somewhere else, but this, the win this pitch is like the thing. Um, I, I know in high school we had a way to term my coach, coach of Tunis was great with these, you know, J terms and uh, what, whatever else. And it was win the day. And that's kind of, I think mm. Oregon duck started that. So out from by, from where you're you from. Um, <laughs> so, uh, win the day was like a huge thing when we were in high school, but I, I kind of wanted to put my own spin on it. And I, I didn't like the day, like I wanted this pitch. So like when I'm in the third base coaching box and a kid swings at a two Oh pitch, they're supposed to be sitting dead red and they swing in a curveball in the dirt or something, something dumb, you know? And I'm in the, I'm in the dog. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, win this pitch, win this one right here. And then, you know, the other kids are like, Hey, don't worry about it. Like, keep your head up, win this pitch. Come on now. Like you still ahead in the count, you know, all that stuff, you know, it just like, I started saying it and it, you know, one of the things that I really challenged myself to do was, you know, to use these lingo terms, because like you said, it ingrains that, you know, pillar into them. I see a ton of teams and organizations that have great mission statements and great, you know, pillars and everything. But you ask their employees or their players what what their pillars are, or their mission statement is, and they can't really tell you. So <laughs> yep. all of our kids can can tell you exactly what, you know, our pillars are in they get to hear them every single day. And not only from me, not only from my, you know, coaching staff, but from each other, which is huge. Yeah. It's like, dang it, Jim, I've told you a million times, our pillars are these five things. How do you not know me? It's like, Oh, well it's, it's effort. It's attitude. It's togetherness. It's when this, like, it's just, it makes it so simple and narrow, which allows you for the ability to apply it to everything, which I really like because when this pitch, like I said, you can apply to everything best in the state. I love it. You can apply it to everything. I had a, a coach, uh, Eric Detman on long time ago, like three years ago. He's a, a track and field coach here in Oregon, actually amazing coach. And uh, he was telling me when we were kind of talked about pillars that he had and um, 
similar to you with kids kind of laughing and saying it to each other. Um, he, his thing was like, once you see them start rolling their eyes when you talk about this stuff, he's like, that's when you know they've got it. Because it's like, coach, we know. Like, we've got it down. And so I love that your players are like using these sayings for, you know, you know best chemistry test taker in the state and stuff like that. Because when you start hearing that stuff, it validates it. It confirms like they've got it. Like you've done it. Like you've the the culture has been instilled and now it's just a matter of maintaining it, making it better in small ways. But like the core concept, it's hooked. Like they're in, they're all in. And it's it's a really cool thing to hear about. Yeah, it is. I mean, I love I get such a kick out of it when they're saying stuff like that. But you know, someone I have had a kid who as a sophomore my first year was the leader on the team. I mean, you ask any kid on a team who's the leader and it's the sophomore and you know, he plays shortstop. He was star running back for the football team, but he he gets it. You know what I mean? The, what, the type of kid that you want to coach, right? So um, this year he's a senior. So, you know, we're working with, you know, some freshmen in the weight room and stuff. And we're breaking out like after lifting, and you know, one team. And, you know, one of the freshmen doesn't say anything. And he's like, pulls him to the side. And he's like, when I say one, like you better say team, like don't ever <laughs> let it happen again. And like something like that, like, yeah, it sounds like it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but like, you know, he really takes it seriously. So like the pillars are hitting home and it, it does mean something for us. The The leadership part's an interesting thing. Cause I've talked to obviously a lot of coaches and some of them really explicitly teach leadership traits to players or certain players. Others don't even talk about leadership at all. And they just kind of let it naturally occur. When you kind of think about your program and what you've done in terms of creating leaders, do you kind of angle towards one side or the other, like explicitly teaching stuff versus kind of letting it naturally occur? Um, I always said that I was going to try to let it happen organically. Um, but this year that kid that was mentioned before is going to get a C put on his, you know, BP top mm-hmm. and one of his jerseys that he gets to keep. Um, he, he just earned it. And, you know, I talked with him a lot individually about what it means to be a leader. And I met, I minored in leadership studies in college. Like it's something that I, I love. I can't get enough about leadership. You know, I go to ABCA, all that stuff. The thing that I love most is listening to, you know, building programs and what it means to be a leader. So I kind of, you know, tell him some of the stuff that I've picked up on and just some traits that I think that can help him and um, some of the other leaders on our team. And um, it, it really makes a difference. Um, I don't think everyone has the ability to be a leader. So I don't really try to shove the, some of the leadership stuff down people's throats, but for those kids that are really interested in it and have that, you know, ability to be a leader, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. Like they, they come to me, they ask, and I, you know, I'll tell them, Hey, you know, you, you have, one of the things that I just talked to um, a bunch of them about was, you know, the state of flow, you know, some kids in the program might not have the skill to meet the challenge. So, you know, you have to, you have to know your, you know, your, the people you're leading, like if they don't have the necessary skill to meet the challenge that you're giving them, like they're going to be, they're going to be anxious. They're going to be miserable. Like you need to be careful with, you know, um, giving too much challenge um, to certain kids um, that might not have it. Like, yeah, treat everyone the same, but if they don't have that ability, then you're you're putting them in a really bad spot. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the leadership part is is I don't know. So it's just bizarre, like you said. Like some some people just are born with this ability to lead others, and it's amazing. And then there's others, you know, who want to be leaders and and really desire the training, and they need that, and they accept it, and it's great. And then, you know, other people, sometimes you're in a weird position where you feel like you have no leaders within a program. And so then you're trying to like build leaders out of kids who maybe 
just they aren't really leaders and then uh, obviously at the backside you have to also think about how like you said like some kids just aren't they're just not gonna be leaders and that's okay like we can't all be leaders in everything that we do in all of our lives so like you said like it's funny because sometimes people well you got to treat everybody the same well not really because everybody's a little bit different you've got to be able to understand your players and who's who and what they're willing to accept and what they want to achieve and what kind of people they want to be in life. And I don't know, I guess that's a big, <laughs> obviously a big part of coaching. Yeah, definitely. Like my first year, I it was kind of ran, ran into some problems with that. I wanted to treat everyone the same. I hoped that everyone wanted to play college baseball like I did, but I go, you know, I'm coaching at a small school. Some of these kids have no ambition to go to college. They want to go into the trades or, or work on like a family farm or something like that. So you know, that, that reflection that I did in the summer, it's like, hey, not everyone wants to do this. Not everyone even cares that they're on the field um, and plays varsity baseball. And so I kind of really had to dive deep into that. And like some of you don't care about, you know, gaining weight and strength in the weight room. And, and you know what? That's fine. Like, you know, everyone has a different agenda and different wants and needs out of this. Some of you just want to join the team to hang out with your buddies and be a part of something, you know, bigger than yourself. And that's one thing that I really had to accept and, you know, it's it made, it's made a big difference this year and even a little bit of last year um just accepting that you know not everyone has the same goals but like together we all have the same goal but the individuals themselves have a little bit different goals well, i'm excited to see what it turns into as you head into 2023 obviously you know you look at a chart like it's it's moving up at a really steep steep point and i'm excited to kind of see what comes next and, and how things continue to shape out for you and for the program. Uh, I don't know if there's anything we missed or I don't know anything you wanted to get to, but um, you know, hand the mic over to you one more time and, and just give it to you. Yeah, I know in the, in the past we were going to try to talk about like the performance evaluation that mm -hmm. I use. Um, and I think you set me up perfectly for it um, like 25 minutes ago, but I, I kind of just missed the, <laughs> missed the cue. So Dive we can in. circle back around to that. Um, yeah. So one of the things when I was teaching, like, and when I was in college, you always have, you know, your teacher always normally gives you like a rubric when there's a paper or a, or a project that you're doing together. So I wanted to give our players and our um, families like a rubric on how you're evaluated. So yes, I have the parent communication process on, you know, what to do if there's conflict, but where does the conflict result from? It's from your performance, right? So I've kind of dove into this performance evaluations uh, piece of it and kind of created like a rubric of how I evaluate and my other coaches evaluate talent on our team. So we have offense and defense and pitching performance evaluations, and we have individual goals and, and, and team goals um, for the performance eval. And uh, I think it's something that, you know, I always post all the stats to and know that some, some, you know, people aren't crazy about that. Some people are, but I post everything. I don't, there's no secrets here. Like, if you want to know what your kid's batting or how many RBIs he has, I post everything. That way you can kind of mesh up this performance evaluation piece and, you know, what's actually going on in games and can kind of, you know, see for yourself why or why, why or why not your kid is or is not playing. Hmm. Well, yeah, which is really good for parents, right? Because it goes back to what we talked about earlier of the, the parent communication part. And I think so much of that breakdown happens on the front side where maybe parents don't fully understand how players are evaluated. And, you know, honestly, it's probably hard for a lot of parents to honestly evaluate your own kid because you, of course, you're going to think and you should think really highly of your own of your own kid. And so having those performance evaluators evaluations and, and having that information available, I think is a really good strategy to kind of 
stop some of those maybe negative possibilities or negative potentials for um, communication that could exist if you didn't have those? Definitely. Um, I know for our offensive performance evaluation, one thing, another kind of lingo term that we use is 30 guy. Um, So I stole this directly from St. Xavier. Um, Coach Ross over there was at the IHS BCA last year, and he talked about 40 guys. Well, they play about 60 games at the NAIA. So I kind of coined it to 30 guy because we only are allowed to play 35 games. So um, what that is is 30 or more extra base hits plus stolen bases in 35 games. So that's like an individual goal for every kid in our program, you know, to be a 30 guy. We want extra base hits. We want stolen bases. So if you if you hit the 30 guy plateau or exceed it, you know, I'll, I'll, buy, you, I'll buy you a shirt put the junkyard dog on the front and the kids love that. And then I'll put your last name on the back with however many extra base hits and stolen bases you have in, you know, those 35 games or whatever it is. And uh, the kids love that. And it's just another, you know, another lingo thing for, you know, the offensive um, performance evaluation. I don't really have anything yet for the defense or for the pitching, but I'm working on it. It's a little bit harder to figure out, especially the defensive side, I think is really hard to, like properly <laughs> turn into numbers when you're talking about, especially high school kids, you know, when you get into the upper college and, and, you know, professional baseball, they have so many metrics that they're able to kind of better judge it. But that's one of the more difficult things in high school baseball is judging defenders from a more objective standpoint, because it's just, I don't know, let's say impossible, but I, I, I don't know that I've seen the right answer yet. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. I mean, the center fielder, the the plays and the fielding percentage should be a lot higher than say a shortstop just because of the chances yeah. and the difficulty of the play. So I don't really have a number on that yet, but it's something I'm continuously working on. So we'll see if I can coin something up for that. Well, if you ever figure it out, <laughs> make sure you let me know and post it on Twitter so the rest of us can steal yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. Maybe I'll see something <laughs> at ABCA or the IHS BCA this year. Yeah, maybe that'd be good. All right, Thomas. Well, I appreciate you. I, I wish you all the best story in high school this year and, and moving forward. And um, really, really thankful that you were able to carve out some time to, to make this happen. And I know, like I mentioned, I genuinely got stuff out of this that I'm going to try to figure out for our program. And I think that's the goal every time we, we have one of these conversations is just to get a little bit better. And so um, appreciate you and, and just wish you the best of luck this spring. Absolutely, Max. Thanks for having me and best of luck to your program as well. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Coach Smith is undergoing a coaching change this summer as he takes over the program at which he used to be an assistant coach. So in what wound up being his final season at the helm of the Orion High School Chargers, he led the baseball program to a 22-10 record. Good luck to him as he begins his new post as the head baseball coach at Alamon High School in Rock Island, Illinois. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts and wherever you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or from any previous episodes, please share this on social media via email or through the old fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. 
That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Smith for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.